Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Ulzamele Shimcha Elyon Ulzamele Shimcha Elyon 
JM in the AM. Good morning. Welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, 25 minutes before 7 o'clock as we say good morning on this uh, Friday era of Shabbos. It's uh, Friday, October the 11th, day 7 in the month of Mar Cheshvan, the year 5774, Tuf and it's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Lech Lecha with candle lighting time at 6.04 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.04 candle lighting time. It's getting earlier. and I don't think people realize how early candle lighting time is now. 6.04. We'll uh, start Bahab on Monday. Yeah, besides being Columbus Day Monday, uh, Bahab is Monday. <laughs> I should have mentioned that with Ray Heber yesterday. Another significant day coinciding with a legal holiday. If you missed my conversation about the calendar with Rabbi Heber yesterday, it was unbelievable. Check it out, jmnam.org in our archive section. 60 degrees, 82% humidity, winds in north, 15 miles per hour. Showers today. I thought we'd avoid the rain. That's what I heard this morning, that we're going to avoid the rain. Why is it that showers are still in the forecast? High 65. Tonight, showers low 56, partly cloudy for Shabbos Day in this area. With a high 71, 82 in Yerushalayim, 79 Tel Aviv and Haifa, a lot at 88. We're at 60 here in Jersey City, waking up on a Friday era of Shabbos. Well, an hour from now, some of the uh, past chairmen of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations will join us to accept Mazel Tov wishes on the big uh, 50th anniversary gala coming up Tuesday night. Malcolm Holmline will join us, weekly update is on your radio every uh, Friday morning at 7.40. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15 as we uh, go through the Torah portion of the week. And we'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman has an amazing show scheduled for 9 o'clock on our stream. I want to thank our friends at Kedem. They make our incredible Jewish music stream uh, possible on an Erev Shabbos all the way from 10 a.m. until candle lighting time. Um... I heard from listener Joel in Milwaukee yesterday who was lauding the uh, Erev Shabbos music mix. It is amazing. Tomorrow night, Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. Sunday morning, Matis speaks to Jamie Geller during JM Sunday. You know, even when Matis doesn't have a special guest, JM Sunday always has Rabbi Goldwasser, always has English news from Israel, has some great segments every single Sunday. And I want to thank Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler in West Orange. He joins Avrami. On Saturday nights, uh, during the uh, Saturday Night Seagull show as well, with great words. So we have a lot of stuff covered, even through the weekend. Sometimes I'm amazed myself. <laughs> 22 minutes before 7 o'clock. Good morning. It's JM in the AM as we continue. Uh, this is a, uh, this is a uh, selection from, uh, Bitachon at JM in the AM. <laughs> Ain't 
If I seem a little distant with a twinkle in my eye, there's a very special reason you will find. Today is only Tuesday, and the kids learn olive base. And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind. Yes, I walk against the many as they're groping in the night, and I've tried to share the Torah in a rhyme. And the boys are now bar mitzvah, and Wednesday night is here, and you know that I got Shabbos on my mind. Thursday sees a chuppah, and the weather is getting cold, and the Torah scroll is turning, and we are growing old, and the jokers and the scoffers they're running out of time, and you know that I got Shabbos, yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind. It's a Friday morning sunrise, no time to mess around. I'm the old man who dovin right on time, and your prayers get more sincere as old friends pass away. And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind. And there is no deception, 'cause he knows just who you are—a hunger to be holy while feeling very far. And the jokers and the scoffers—they're running out of time. And you know that I got Shabbos. Yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind. It's a Friday evening sunset, no time to mess around. I'm the old man who dovin right on time, and your prayers get more sincere when old friends pass away. And you know that I got Shabbos, yeah, you know I got Shabbos, you know I got Shabbos. On my mind. Jam in the AM, Moshe. Yes, what a tune, huh? What a tune. Shabbos on my mind. Jam in the AM on a Friday morning. Hour of Shabbos on this 11th of October. Columbus Day is Monday. Mayor Fertig is going to be sitting in this chair Monday, and I thank him in advance. Thank you, Mayor Fertig. The seventh of Mar Cheshvan Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha with candle lighting at six o four on this Erev Shabbos six o four is candle lighting Monday starts Bahab if you're not familiar with that consult with your local rabbi great schedule for us at jmnam.org after our jmnam program this morning Naomi Nachman with an amazing show coming up we call it Table for Two and every single Friday she really does a great job uh, bringing us the news in the world of uh, 
cooking and culinary delights. Uh, and I thank her for that. Uh, today, uh, sh- her guests will include Esty Berkowitz, who's co-chairing the Kosher Feast social media event, Menachem Lubinsky, founder of Kosher Fest, and Melinda Strauss, hosting Kosher Food Bloggers Conference. All three events are coming up in the last week of October. Naomi Nachman has the uh, has the lowdown between 9 and 10 this morning on Table for Two at jmnam.org. Don't forget our Erev Shabbos music mix goes all the way until candlelighting time. No better way to prepare for Shabbos than having the music mix on no matter where you are, on your app, on your computer, on your laptop, on your smartphone, whatever the case may be. Plug it into your car. Listen on our listen line at 212-419-4241. You could do all of that or any of those to tune in. Matis has a Sunday morning, JM Sunday, starting at 7 o'clock. Jamie Geller is his guest this Sunday. She's out with a brand-new book. Publication date is the 15th of October. Matis has the book, and the 13th of October, this coming um, a Sunday, he will feature Jamie Geller on JM Sunday. Avrami has Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night, starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream. And the amazing programming just uh, continues to roll. Mayor Fertig will be here Monday at JM in the AM. 60 degrees, showers, a high temperature of 65. News coming up from Israel. We'll do that in just a moment. If you missed our conversation yesterday with Rabbi Heber, you want to make sure to uh, catch the archive at jmtheam.org. We went through, I don't know how many items regarding the Jewish calendar, but it was a lot. I can tell you that much. A lot. As simple as that. So you can check that out, jmtheam.org, and you can enjoy the... Uh, the very interesting conversation, at least in my opinion, that happened uh, this past uh, Thursday right here. Also, if you're, if you're at the archive section already, don't forget Oneg Shemesh had an incredible live music alert performance this past Monday in studio. You may want to catch that as well. Uh, before Malcolm joins us for the weekly update at 740, Richard Stone, Mort Zuckerman, and Bob Sugarman are all scheduled to join us with words about the 50th anniversary gala coming up this uh, Tuesday night. So we'll have that for you coming up at JM and the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. JM and the AM dot org. Galitzal. Ehud Banai night. Very nice. Nice promo about preparing for Shabbos. Uh, what was I saying? WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. News from Israel follows. Plenty more on this Friday morning broadcast coming up at JM in the AM. And, of course, all day long and all weekend long at jmtheam.org. Pretty amazing. Make sure you have the Nahum Single Network app. Let's you tune into the live stream to all of our archives whenever you wish. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM the AM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן כרמית ראובן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ההכרה בישראל כמדינה יהודית אינה תפקידם של הפלסטינים, אומר יושב ראש הרשות אבו מאזן. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. טורקיה יוצאת למאבק בארגוני הטרור, כתבתנו נעמה ארטישיק.
באנקרה הוחלט להטיל שורה של עיצומים על גורמים המופיעים ברשימת ארגוני הטרור של מועצת הביטחון של האו"ם ומזוהים עם אל-קאידה וטליבאן. במסגרת המהלך הוקפאו נכסיהם של 350 בני אדם וארגונים המופיעים ברשימה. מוקדם יותר החודש עצרה המשטרה הטורקית כ-130 בני אדם בחשד שהיו מעורבים בפעילויות טרור של אל-קאידה. וכעת נפנה שוב לדיווח של ג'קי חוגי. ההתעקשות של נתניהו לדרוש מאיתנו להכיר במדינה יהודית מעידה על כך שאיננו מעוניין במשא ומתן. כך עבאס בריאיון לטלוויזיה הפלסטינית. הוא פנה לעם בישראל ואמר, אם אתם רוצים שלום, תנו לנו את הזכות להקים מדינה עצמאית בגבולות 67. אבו מאזן התייחס גם להסכם לשחרור 104 האסירים הפלסטינים שעד כה בוצע רק אחד משלושת שלביו. אם ישראל תתכחש להסכם, תהיה הרשות רשאית לפנות לאו"ם, הוא אמר. פוטין הוא זה שהציע את היוזמה לפתרון המשבר בסוריה, אבל את פרס נובל לשלום קצר הארגון למניעת הפצת נשק עימי. הארגון הבינלאומי אשר ממוקם בהאג פועל בימים אלה לפירוק מאגר הנשק הכימי של נשיא סוריה אסד. ועדת הפרס באוסלו נימקה את הבחירה באמירה כי נשק כימי היווה סכנה לאנושות מאז ומעולם, ופעילות הארגון ארוכת השנים הפכה את השימוש בנשק שכזה לטאבו. בינתיים למרכז הרפואי זיו בצפת הובא הבוקר לידי כוחות של צה"ל פצוע סורי נוסף ממלחמת האזרחים במצב בינוני. כתבנו גיא ורון מוסר שזהו הפצוע המאה ה-24 שהגיע למרכז. שוד מזוין בסניף דואר בבית שמש, כתבנו יותם ברגר. אל הסניף נכנס גבר צעיר חמוש באקדח ודרש באיומים כסף מהכספרית. היא הושיטה לו סכום שגובהו עדיין לא ידוע למשטרה והוא נמלט מן המקום. באירוע אין נפגעים, המשטרה פתחה בסריקות באזור. מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע, הטמפרטורות עוברות מקיץ לסתיו, היום עדיין חם ויבש מהרגיל בפנים הארץ ובערים, מחר יעשה רגיל העונה ויהיה נאה. אלה החדשות שערך היום עידו כהן. Jam in the AM, I'm told that uh, this tune is heading out to Ariel Fromowitz, who's an Eitan Katz fan. Here it is from Jam in the AM. I need 
Say yeah. 
شالایی میره خود به سایخ یروشالایی به مال خود خاش 
It's coming Tuesday night. The Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations has their 50th anniversary tribute gala. We've spoken a lot about this with Malcolm Honline on the air. He's, of course, the Executive Vice Chairman. Happens this Tuesday at the Waldorf Astoria. From what we hear, there's not a seat to be had. That's how many people want to be there for this historic occasion. Richard Stone has been a guest of ours before on JM and the AM, and whose bio and resume is way uh, too full for us to um, uh, detail it right now in the interest of time. But uh, so many people in our audience know about his leadership and incredible dedication to Jewish causes. He had the honor, I think he'd call it an honor, to serve as chairman of the conference from 2011 through 2013, and he joins us on this Friday morning at JM and the AM. Mr. Stone, welcome back to JM and the AM. Good morning, Nachum. I'm very glad to be with you. Appreciate that very much. What are your thoughts? The Conference of Presidents was formed to sort of give a consensus or one voice to the White House and beyond, internationally as well, and uh, and that was the purpose of it uh, 50 years ago. Uh, you were there on the front lines very recently as the chair. Um, would you say that it's accomplished its goal and that it continues to work? Oh, Nahum, I think that the conference uh, is an amazing organization. I think it's, you've called it an honor. I think it's the highest privilege in uh, volunteer Jewish life uh, to work with the conference, and I've had the privilege of chairing it. 
the conference does extraordinary work. A great deal of it, as you probably know, is behind the scenes. Right. Uh, and we rarely have an event of the publicity order of this gala that's going to occur on Tuesday night. And I think it's a good thing every now and then, though it's best to keep uh, a lot of the conference's activities uh, behind the scenes. It's a good thing to let the world know that the conference really is the organized consensus voice of the American Jewish community uh, and to get a sense for how much uh, support uh, the conference uh, garners from the entire Jewish world and from governments all over the world, certainly from the Israeli government and the American government. Richard Stone with us live via telephone. I'm trying to get a handle on the different eras as I look at the years that each of the honorees has served over the last 25 years. Uh, how would you classify 2011 to 2013? You look back, uh, there was skepticism, and maybe there still is, about the President of the United States and his attitude toward Israel. How would you define the couple of years that you had uh, to serve as chair of the conference? Well, it's interesting that you ask that, because I expected something a bit different from what uh, I experienced during those two years. Uh, obviously, the issues, particularly the threat of Iran, uh, the intransigence of uh, Palestinian uh, acceptance of the existence of the Jewish state, uh, the, and the, all the issues related to the so-called Arab Spring and the violence in so many places lately in Syria, uh, did present some very difficult issues. And I expected that part of the job of managing uh, the conference during those two years would be not only to deal with extremely difficult problems, but to deal with a... a very diverse uh, organizational body. We're 51 organizations representing the full political spectrum, the full religious spectrum, and I thought that uh, keeping a consensus going in such difficult times would be a, a major challenge. The issues, indeed, were extremely difficult, and the work was cut out for us and was very hard. Uh, but, in fact, uh, what was striking to me during virtually the whole two years was a kind of a, a consensus and lack of serious dissent among the conference membership. I'm not saying there was none. Right. But an increasing consensus, first of all, that our major issue uh, is the intolerability of an Iranian nuclear program. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't see any substantial difference among the people in the conference on that. And the other issue that could have been uh, much more divisive than it turned out to be were issues related to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, where I think uh, we really reflect what's going on in Israel. The, dis the divisiveness has really narrowed. The spectrum has narrowed. Almost everybody sees the major problem, in, uh, at least in our community, the major problem in reaching some kind of agreement with the Palestinians and uh, a two-state solution, if such a thing is possible. A uh, major problem is that the Palestinians do not want a Jewish state, uh, have not shown the willingness to have a Jewish state, and the Arab world doesn't seem, uh, in large part, to uh, tolerate that idea. And consequently, uh, there's, there's nowhere to go, and the blame is not on settlements, and it's not on the so-called Israeli occupation. It's really on Palestinian intransigence, and I think our people across the spectrum have understood that to a point that criticism of the Israeli government, uh, which the conference has really tries uh, to avoid uh, in all situations, 
uh, just was not forthcoming from our constituency. Richard Stone with us live via telephone has served as chair from 2011 to 2013 for the Conference of Presidents and among the honorees is coming Tuesday night at the 50th anniversary gala. Finally, Mr. Stone, is it tough to leave? You know, uh, the, the, the natural course of history is that when one ends a term of anything, especially of this magnitude, there's going to be a lot of unfinished business. That's the nature of the thing. Is it difficult to part when the term is up? Yeah, it is difficult. I have an excellent successor, and I'm uh, very uh, comforted by that, Bob Sugarman. Uh, but it's very difficult to leave. It's just an exciting place to be if you care most about the Jewish people and you care most about Jewish security, which is really the uh, survival and growth of the state of Israel. I don't know any place to better situate yourself. You don't really leave ex-chairman uh play a, uh, an important role, which I think will come that's, out that's true. at this gala. That's and true. I have to say something else, Malcolm. Sure. Uh, I think you know uh, a gentleman named Malcolm Holmline. <laughs> we speak once uh, in a while. <laughs> leaving the daily uh, association, though I still talk to him pro- pretty much every day anyway, but leaving this particularly close association with Malcolm, whom I believe to uh, be the uh, most incredible uh, leader in our community, uh, is also hard for me, um, though I, I haven't really left, and we still uh, uh, see and talk a great deal with each other. I look forward to seeing you Tuesday night. Mazal tov on the recognition, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Nachum. I look forward to seeing you. Richard, you're, you're, you're easy to find. <laughs> I appreciate that. Richard Stone, among the honorees, of course, is coming Tuesday at the Conference of Presidents' 50th Anniversary Tribute Gala. This is JM in the AM. Ha, 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 ha,
J.M. and the A.M., 50th anniversary of the Conference of Presidents Tribute Galas is coming Tuesday night. Moritz Zuckerman, who knows need, no, needs no introduction for this audience, uh, obviously most notably, uh, or I should say notably, not, not most notably, um, publisher of U.S. News and World Report, New York Daily News, and uh, hundreds of other distinctions, served as chair of the conference from 2001 to 2003. Moritz Zuckerman, welcome to J.M. and the A.M. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate that. We were uh, analyzing the different eras of all the conference chairs, and my gosh, you're in uh, one of the most important and historic ones from 2001 to 2003, a 9-11 world, a post-9-11 world, and obviously everything that was happening in Israel at the time. Anybody who has any recollection of the Second Intifada, obviously they'll focus on that era. As you look back, uh, would those be the uh, the things that stand out about the time that you served, and how difficult was it a time to serve as a leader? of the conference when all those things were going on? Well, uh, let me just say that it's always a challenge to be the leader of the conference on several levels. One is uh, the general uh, objective of uh, putting forth uh, the Israeli case to the American public and particularly to the American political community is never an easy job, and anybody who's been in that job uh, has the same kind of challenge. Uh, there were maybe some particular uh, moments uh, when I was the chairman of the conference uh, that uh, brought that into focus, but uh, I think every conference president uh, has his or her own share of uh, challenges, and uh, this is not a challenge that is going to go away. It just is built into the relationship of uh, the Jewish community to the American public, the American political system, and indeed to the world political system. You know, it's interesting. We were just speaking to Richard Stone, and obviously he served during an era when President Obama was already in the White House, and everyone had their impressions of the president's uh, attitude toward Israel and issues important to us. You served during an era when we had a relatively friendly uh, president in the White House, not to make the, uh, the juxtaposition, just, you know, the, the reputation, obviously, of George W. Bush. And what was that like? What was it like knowing that you had somebody who understood the issues as as well as he did in the White House at that time. Well, I must say, uh, George uh, W. Bush, in my judgment, was uh, an underestimated president. Uh, when you dealt with him in personal terms uh, and direct terms, uh, he was an extraordinarily responsive and empathetic human being. Uh, there was no sense of him as being distant or cold or basically impatient with the kind of arguments and case that you had to put before him. So it was a very uh, easy dialogue. I came to respect him uh, much more than his public reputation would have suggested, because um, he was, I think, just badly treated by the press. Having said that, uh, you know, as I say, every president has its uh, particular, every presidency has its particular personality, and right. you just have to find a way to connect with him and with his key people, because we have a very good case to make if we make it properly, and I think, uh, by and large, the uh, chairman of the conference have that role and have done it very well. Uh, we have had more difficulty, I would say, with the current administration and uh, with any administration in uh, my adult lifetime. So I don't envy anybody who has to do what uh, has to be done in, the, in this current era. Understood. Finally, and we asked this to uh, Richard earlier, is it tough to leave? The nature of your role as conference chair is that uh, there will be a lot of unfinished business. That is the way history works. Is it difficult to part after having such influence on the front lines? Well, let me just say that uh, I, I don't. I must say I didn't see it in terms of influence. Of course, there is influence. It was, from from my point of view, the highlight of my life because I 
really felt that I was uh, making a contribution and being of service to the Jewish community. And I think everybody who's in that job has a passion for that. And so when you're in that role, you know, you sort of feel privileged to be able to be out there on the front lines, uh, you know, advancing the case or taking the hits uh, uh, on behalf of the community. And it, from my point of view, it was one of the greatest periods of my life and frankly one of the greatest honors of my life well thank you for making the case and for taking the hits it's much appreciated by jews worldwide i can tell you that and i look forward to seeing you on tuesday night mazal tov on the honor wreath on tuesday thank you very much that's very kind of you mort zuckerman one of the uh, conference chairs they are all the recent ones are all honorees tuesday night at the big 50th anniversary tribute gala more coming up including our weekly update with malcolm Honeline. if you keep it at jm in the am Well, that was a real treat for us. That's Cole Salonica. That was a real treat for us, speaking to both Richard Stone and Mort Zuckerman, uh, former chairs of the Conference of Presidents. They're among the eight honorees on the uh, on the lay leader side. Uh, Mel Solberg, Ambassador Ronald Lauder, Mort Zuckerman, Jim, Jimmy Tisch, Harold Tanner, June Walker of Blessed Memory, Alan Solo, and Richard Stone. And of course, Malcolm is the um, is is going to be um, feted with a 25 year commemoration for his work on the executive side of the Conference of Presidents. That's all happening Tuesday night. Uh, we were scheduled to have Bob Sugarman not able to get through. Malcolm has reassured me that he will uh, issue his apologies to him. He now serves as the conference chair. And um, 
Uh, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll, um, and not hopefully, he will be presiding uh, Tuesday night at the Waldorf Astoria. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to recommend to all their amazing readers our live stream at jmnam.org. Thank you, JewishWorldReview.com, who again have an amazing array of articles and commentary that you could check out on their website. Check it out and enjoy. Monday, Mayor Fertig is here. I'll be off Monday. Mayor Fertig will be here. Amazing programming all weekend long. We'll detail it for you coming up uh, on the live stream at jmnam.org, including Naomi Nachman, who follows us at 9 o'clock this morning with a whole kosher fest-related hour on Table for Two. Uh, again, we will detail that for you before 9 o'clock this morning, and we highly recommend it. Uh, 7.50, 10 minutes before 8 o'clock Eastern Time on this Friday morning. And Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. It's good always to be here, and especially this week. And we'll try to get Bob to do the post-mortem next week. Oh, by the way, maybe Bob will join us for a minute Tuesday morning. That will be cool. If oh, we, absolutely. If we could do that. And our apologies, we weren't able to get through to him today. You know, I asked both... Richard Stone and Ward Zuckerman, if there was a way to define uh, their their role as, as chairman, histor- meaning historically, and and Richard, of course, served under the Obama administration or served during, I should say, <laughs> and uh, Mort served uh, as uh, conference chair when George W. Bush was in power. So I got their perspective uh, quickly on that. Now, uh, Bob Sugarman is in. Not that you're speaking for him, but how do we define this era? This era that you know began. Uh, this year for him, how would you say it's uh, it would be classified in terms of uh, his role in this uh, whole Jewish leadership scene? Somewhere between hectic and crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but that characterizes every chairman's term and uh, every day uh, because people don't don't see the work of the conference. We don't have the PR department. We don't publicize most of what we do, and because we don't want to. And it's it's the behind the scenes stuff that that the chairman and we in, uh, engage in day to day, and which many organizations do that you don't see, but that, that have real results. And now we face such a complex of issues. You know, he came into the middle of the Iran right. heightened Iran debate, the Syria war, the developments in Egypt. All of these things have uh, much broader ramifications, let alone struggles at the UN and. Elsewhere, so. I mean, you're, you're going to think this is a funny question, but this is the week to ask. I'm taking advantage. When the chair comes in, do they do they need crash courses and a whole bunch of different stuff? I mean, they walk into the White House, they've got to be really well-read on a lot of issues. And I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen in your career, people in their 30s and 40s who are in specific industries who will take off a year you know, to study certain things. Do they have to go through that type of orientation? First of all, most of them have been in, had to be by na- uh, the nature of the position to be involved because you have to be the president of a member right. organization, which means you were exposed some for like Bob Sugarman for many years to the work of the conference, to the issues. He was chairman of ADL, and uh, certainly all of them are people who read. Uh, some of them hire assistants during their tenure to help uh, filter out the information, and uh, of course, we brief them before any kind of a major meeting or on major developments. Right. So yeah, it's it's, it's got to be the most a lot of homework. God, that's it. That's the word exactly. It's got to be one of the most nerve wracking things, especially at the beginning. Uh, you know, and wh- whether someone's really familiar with the issue or not, just you know, knowing what you're doing. I mean, you've mentioned this a million times. You walk into rooms where you're representing the Jewish people, the interests of Jews worldwide, the state of Israel, etc., and and you just pray that the right words come out of your mouth every time, because you never know how the right word can make a difference, or God forbid, the wrong word. 
can have a deleterious effect. I've seen both of those things uh, when people, sometimes out of good intention, but not choosing their words carefully, can say something to, to a leader and you see the reaction and you know that your sip, ship is beginning to sink right. you try to, to, to save it. But the um, you know most of the leaders have had the experience. They're sensitive. They know they're not there to score points or or for themselves. It's not their egos. It's it's really an awesome responsibility, say the least. And uh, I know that this coming Tuesday night, obviously the Jewish community, the business community, world of government will all be represented really nicely. Were you surprised? at the international reaction, how so many people you work with from from different countries and represent those countries here in the U.S. are coming to pay tribute on Tuesday. I'm frankly shocked by the whole thing. As you know, we don't have a development department. We don't have fundraisers. We don't, we've done the last dinner like this we did was 20 years ago. Right. But the response was so far beyond that, that everything we had uh, geared to or been prepared for was way overwhelmed. I mean, we, the fact that we had a closed registration a few days ago and that we had to turn away, and I apologize to those we did turn away, but there was no way that they could be seated comfortably, that we, we ran all the maximum limits that the hotel allows, and we have security requirements that, that limited when we could take reservations. Uh, but I think it's a testament to, to the understanding and the feeling in the community and a desire to be there. Nobody knows anything about the program so nobody came because of the speaker <laughs> and even i don't know they know they might the program yet they know they might see you that's about <laughs> it <laughs> no but seriously they don't know anything about the program and and yet this this amazing response and people were very generous and it's it's really overwhelming unbelievable all right. Uh, with all the celebration that we're talking about, obviously a very sad event this week, the passing of Aravad Yosef. Um, the gathering for his funeral in Jerusalem was just staggering. I mean, I still can't get over No matter what number you want to believe or not believe, the photos were simply amazing. I'm sure you agree. Uh, is there a way for you to encapsulate all this, uh, uh, the influence and the uh, incredible leadership that he had in the state of Israel, uh, both during the time he was chief rabbi and, of course, on the political scene as well? To get this number of people to come out and say goodbye to you, you have to have had uh, the most amazing influential career. How would you sum it up? Well, I think there are several uh, answers to your question. One is that this is a tremendous demonstration of political strength from the from the covet of Torah, the, the uh, honoring uh, a great sage, and, and the, the, it's a, a, a statement by the Sephardic community, but also to see that non-Sephardim joined in, in massive numbers. I have many friends who went, and frankly, I wish I could have gone if it weren't for all the preparations. Uh, and the fact that you had a turnout that certainly was the largest funeral in Israel's history right. uh, has to make a lot of people look at the, this anew. I would hope that the Shah's party will not, you know, fall into internal disputes. He, I think he tried to indicate the leadership preferences. But one of the most in, in interesting things, and, and, you know, his history is, is really interesting, how he came to, you know, he was born in Baghdad, and he came to Yerushalayim when he was four, and he got Simicha at 20, ordination at 20, and then went to Egypt in 47, in Cairo, to be uh, to work on the Besden, <coughs> and was the... Deputy Chief Rabbi, the whole history and how it, then he came back and, and became a Dayan uh, judge in the Israeli religious courts. But it wasn't something he inherited. It wasn't something imposed on him. It's something he really earned. And he 
he and then we one of the again the, the amazing development that somebody yesterday sent me a photo of Avadia Yosef speaking at the rally for Solidarity Day for Soviet Jews in New York, wow. 1974. Wow. When I saw it, <laughs> my mind literally exploded. I remember it so well because he came, you know, in the full regalia. Right. And he stood there and he spoke. It was powerful. But frankly, it, it flipped everybody's mind. I sent it to all the people who at involved half, at the time. At half the people listening now probably were there. <laughs> at, were there, but, but nobody thought of it right. at the time because it was 1974. It's right. a long time ago. But he, the fact that he came to New York and he spoke at the Solidarity Rally, and and I remember his words were very powerful in, in you know, his style and his, his regal look really added to it. Malcolm, so it's a great yeah. loss overall. Oh, no question about it. Malcolm... Uh, the um, you, t- you you opened with you know future of the Shas party <laughs> it, with such a unifying figure at the helm, isn't it impossible for there not to be a split at this point or at least I mean and I'm not wishing on anybody I'm just saying saying this from a point of analysis I mean wouldn't you ex- the way these things go historically wouldn't you expect that there're going to be different camps emerging? Well, I understand that there were already and the people were, were speaking about the funeral in those terms that the. Again, you don't know what's real and what's not real, but uh, I think that uh, his, uh, you don't have somebody who will step in and have both his religious authority and uh, establish the political recognition that he, ha- he achieved. Uh, Arya Derry obviously is, the, is now the leader of Shas, right. um, but there are a lot of factions, and hopefully they, they'll be able to come together. I think only time will tell what, what the, the next steps will be. Can there be a shiva call of such high profile in Israel where the prime minister's visit does not turn into a political discussion? No, it's not possible, and it wasn't possible. And he, they already they got into it with him about the, the AT shivas and the pain and the suffering that's going on in the community, <clears throat> which shows that... Uh, his kids uh, have this uh, sense of communal responsibility that, that even during the shiva that they were able to think of the bigger picture. 8 o'clock in the morning on a Friday at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. We congratulate and wish Mazel Tov to Malcolm Honline. His 25 years at the helm of the Conference of Presidents will be recognized this coming Tuesday night at their big tribute gala. Malcolm, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, which oversees the destructions of Syria's arsenal, won the Nobel Peace Prize today. I need to turn to you because you always can enlighten us whether this is a legitimate group or one that can't be relied on in this area. What's your reaction to their victory? Well, it's a legitimate group, and I think it's a a focus on Syria. I don't think that six months ago anybody would have said that they would be the recipient of the award. They go into dangerous situations, and and in this case, civil war, to carry out the mission of trying to dismantle and control chemical weapons. Uh, We saw the pictures on Syrian TV uh, over the week about about the first dismantling or alleged dismantling of uh, of some of the weapons they're they're actually going after the production uh, and the UN has said that they can finish the job by June of next uh, of 2014 of next June um, and they're talking about having to enlarge the mission they need a lot more people to to do it it's also very expensive uh, undertaking but uh, it seems to be 
progressing, although obviously I don't think anybody really trusts that the that there will be full compliance, and we don't know if they're giving up all the stockpiles. We don't know what uh, what other things they they have. But we do know is that the deaths of over 110,000 people was by conventional weapons largely. Right. So the chemical weapons removal is important and, and removes a threat, but it, it doesn't end the danger. And maybe people will think also about what Israel did, the favor in taking out that nuclear reactor, and if it hadn't been what we would be dealing with today. What's your reaction while we're on the subject of Nobel Prizes, that again Israel is at the forefront when it comes to the Nobel Prize, this time in chemistry? Well, I think there are a couple of things that uh, interesting reaction. First of all, of the the three two hold Israeli uh, citizenship, right? Uh, uh, and the number of, of Jews also is a source of pride in, in not just Israelis, but right. in, in various categories, uh, including the the guys uh, who discovered the Higgs boson. Um, the French recipient is, is Jewish, is a survivor, which they don't mention. But Higgs is uh, a boycotter of Israel, so it's an interesting combination. The uh, um, look, I think they, that the issue of the brain drain from Israel is a serious one, and the fact that these people had to go out of Israel not because Israel doesn't have incredible opportunities. We see the creativity, but we also see the number of people who leave who would, should remain in Israel because they're such a great asset instead of going to Silicon Valley and other places. And I, I hope that uh, we can, as time progresses, and this uh, the building of the Technion, $100 million going into Technion from the Chinese investors and others, will be a big benefit um, in terms of being able to retain uh, really top-notch scientists, thinkers, others. I mean, I've read about the brain drain, but I didn't think it was that serious. It sounds, for the way you're saying, it's a uh, very serious situation. Well, if you travel in, in, in high-tech circles, you will see how many Israelis are, are here. Wow. And it doesn't mean that they've abandoned Israel. Right. and are not criticizing them because right, the opportunities are here, and they have to have an American presence right. uh, to do it. But it's, it's uh, something that was highlighted, I think, by this, and a number of the Israeli papers were commenting on it. Yeah, I saw it as a concept and as something that happens. I just didn't realize that there's an epidemic. I don't know if you'd call it an epidemic, but I didn't realize that it's uh, to the degree that you're describing. Uh, New York Times, when Iranian diplomats sit down in Geneva next Tuesday with the U.S. and five other world powers for a new round of talks about Iran's uh, nuclear program, Congress will not have a seat at the table, but that does not mean it will not have a voice. With a tough new Iran sanctions bill teed up in the Senate following the overwhelming passage of similar legislation by the House in July, lawmakers are poised to do one of two things. They could tighten the screws on Iran's leaders in a way that helps produce a nuclear deal, or they could foul up delicate diplomacy at a crucial moment. Which uh, which one of those do you think they're heading toward, Malcolm? Perhaps both. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's uh, just look at both aspects of it. What, what we're hearing now is that there is a proposal that the Russians, the United States, and Khomeini have cooked up uh, one, some sources say that it means that they will have uh, keep them two to three years away from a nuclear weapon. That's a mistake. Anything that doesn't involve the complete dismantling, because we understand the Iranians are saying they want to keep uh, the ability to enrich to 20%. Uh, they keep claiming the right. There is no right. There is no need. They can have peaceful nuclear power like, 17, like Canada and Mexico and others without having enrichment. They can buy this stuff. And they have 200 years of oil and gas for their domestic needs, so that's not the issue. Somebody put it well, 
that we're being that they're using tranquilizing words to chloroform the West, hmm. and uh, um, uh, the fears that we had expressed in the past um, that the these uh, new proposals they're not coming with new proposals they're coming so far with regurgitated old proposals, uh, and the the charm offensive continues. Although we've seen the split where Zarif, the foreign minister, at one time said it was bad that he met with the and that what he did. And then he said, no, then Khamenei, I don't know if he reprimanded him, then he came out the other way, then he checked into a hospital. Uh, the fact is that Iran's economy is, some say, 18 months of collapse. That was Steinitz or, or even more, but they've lost $100 billion in damages to the economy. Inflation's 40%. They desperately want to get out of under the sanctions regime. They're going to find any means possible. But... Everything we see from Rouhani, the more information we get, his role even before he was the Iranian nuclear interlocutor and negotiator, that he wrote from 1995 to 2001, he was head of the Air Defense Forces, where he, he, he's the one who initiated the deals with North Korea, because it was during that time that all this stuff started coming from North Korea to Iran. During his tenure, he, he gave an interview May 27th, and he says, you know, I lied, we obfuscated, this is the way you do it. He said, when did they get the yellow cake? 2004. When did they get this? 2003. All the time when he was the negotiator. And we see statements today where they talk about Takia, which is the ability, the right to lie, if they're serving an ultimate purpose of, uh, of Islam as they interpret it. And we see how North Korea now threatened the United States because we have some ships in, in South Korea. This is the model. And they, they uh, are not, if we don't learn the lesson from North Korea, if we don't apply it and understand that we have to have absolute restrictions, and I think the United States has said they don't accept this, they're not going to uh, remove the sanctions, we have to make sure that's the case. I think Congress is, uh, is very committed to making sure that that is the case, to the degree that they uh, will again be involved and hopefully this, Stalemate will will be passed. So these sanctions are stronger than the ones in the past. The new sanctions are strong. The State Department is them to hold off until after the meeting. I, I think that the, the sooner you do it, the better. That will help any chance of of moving the Iranians. It's not something that should come post facto. This they is have to see that we are really serious. Iran will do whatever it can. It will create these packages. It will. Uh, it, it, until it really dismantles the infrastructure. They're saying that they'll give up Qum, the facility at Qum, but they have many others. They're adding centrifuges now. They say, well, we'll limit the centrifuges. We'll limit, you know, how high we enrich. But there's, it said the breakout is immediate. And now the United, this proposal, the one proposal was that it'll keep them two to three years away. But once they have the infrastructure, there is no way, you know, that the Rus- that the Iranians under this regime are going to honor that in the in the longer run. And right. then we'll all look back and say, how did we fall victim to this? This is now a re- the warning in advance. This is in Washington's a reaction to BB in uh, the UN, or this was in place long ago. Well, the United States has tried to engage them, and I think it's not a reaction to BB. BB's speech was a reaction to what was happening. Uh, but it's really the Iranians who are trying to put a new face on it. But you keep getting these conflicting reports, you know, about what what they actually said and what they mean, or that did Khamenei uh, authorize it. Look at the appointments that he's making to the cabinet, and we don't have time now. But uh, if you look at that, you will see they're putting hardliners, really tough guys, guys who opposed any negotiations to ask people as the head of the National Security Council, the Minister of Justice has a terrible record. 
I mean, they're all they're bad people. Because be this is who he's allied with politically. I mean, that's the... I mean, you, exactly. You've so said this from way before people. the election. You those said this... his people. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the, the, the if the West falls for this one, we only have ourselves to blame uh, because they know the rules. They know how these guys play. They know what, what the intent is. Look, if, we, if they can get him to really dismantle the, the missile system and we don't have to go to work and, and the nuclear weapons program... That would be fine. Right, and Bibi would agree with that. That's right. But also yesterday, if you'll notice how Israel engaged in a long-range uh, flight test uh, simulation with in-air refueling, etc. But what was interesting is that it was advertised. And usually these things go on, but they're not made public. Here, it was deliberately including photos from the exercise, showing them refueling in midair. I think that that is a, a very strong message uh, to certain parties. See, the uh, and, and I think it's increasingly obvious from Bibi's words and what you've always told us, obviously this has to be fought on many different fronts. That's why, you know, when people approach you with, let's just go bomb them, you know, routine, you probably get even more and more frustrated than you did in the past already, because obviously there's so many different angles that this has to be uh, 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 fought through. If they go ahead and, and make a demonstration of strength like you just described, it may take some type of physical military presence to you know to uh, to to help remind them about the power that the United States and or Israel has uh, it doesn't it doesn't like Syria it's only the credibility of the threat right of military it doesn't mean you go out and carpet bag the entire place it means carpet. that that sometimes there has to be subtle hints that, you know through actions that remind them what the what the good side could do that exactly and that the people of Iran who are fed up with the regime also have to see that the West is serious. And the problem is that look at the reaction of, of a country. I, I, I've, I've heard for a second, but it's very much related. When you're talking about the image in the region, what we did to Egypt this week with the cutting of aid sent such a negative message when they see what we're doing on Iran. So Russia takes advantage of it at the same time that they play the game with these, these guys. So they've tried to play both sides. Uh, we see the Saudis, the Gulf, and others just in total frustration and, and, and alienation. The, um, and, and then the message here is if we don't have a credible medical uh, uh, military threat, if all options are not seen as being on the table by the Iranians, not by us, but by them, then we're going to, then all the deals will ultimately just be uh, uh, delaying tactics where right. they gain time. Even the plutonium reactor, it is more dangerous in a sense than the uranium enrichment because you can build it a bomb in a year, you can put them on the Shahab-3, which has a more limited payload, and the plutonium bomb is much lighter. Uh, so it's not just to stopping the enrichment, it's stopping this alternative facility that they're building in Iraq. It's, it is going after the whole infrastructure of, uh, of, the, of their nuclear weapons capacity, and they can have peaceful nuclear uh, availability, but it doesn't require all of this infrastructure or, and, and whatever secret facilities that we don't even know about. Can I ask you something? And if you can't answer it, just say so. It, 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 you're already telling me you can't. <laughs> in, theoretically, if there was an event in your honor, right, or somebody wanted to, in theory, and members of the opposition to the, the, to the Iranian regime that you just described would show up, show support, make their voice heard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do their colleagues and families suffer back home? Well, the ones who might theoretically show up at the event are people who are out front, 
whose families largely have come out, mm. but who have already broken with the regime and have courageously put themselves out front, telling the truth about what's really going on, trying to mobilize support. And uh, and so I guess the, the risk is, is limited. And if the American media wanted access to those people on a regular basis, they could have it. And and if they're not reporting what they have to say about the situation, it's their choice, meaning the American media's choice. It's absolutely their choice, and it's it's people who know firsthand. Uh, one such person, theoretically, could be somebody who came with Khomeini in 1979 on his plane, was a deputy prime minister, then turned against him and was in jail for many years and now is in the United States. He speaks out, and his insights, because he understands the mentality and he knows most of the players, Rasvanjani has been, um, I'm sorry, Rouhani has been around since almost the beginning of this regime. So they know these guys, and they know how they think, and they, and they are able to share and give us perspective that we, thinking as we do, coming without the experience that they've had, don't necessarily get. And can I assume that people like the ones we just described are in regular contact with leaders in the state of Israel? Would that be a, a good... Um, but a, they're in contact with people here. They're in contact with the Jewish community. They're in contact with the experts and scholars. Right, they're not holding back from approaching anybody who might be able to help their cause. Let's put it that way. Right. Iran accused four workers of trying to sabotage its nuclear power program, tacitly blaming Israel for the plot. Now, is there a germ of suspicion here where, you know, sometimes we say, wink, wink, Israel probably was involved, but, we you know, obviously it wouldn't be said, or is this simply propaganda where there's no way that, that Israel could have had a role in this? So far, there's no evidence that Israel had any role in it, and they, they would have played it up differently, I think, if they had more convincing evidence of it. This is a, you know, a blanket charge that they used, uh, so I, I, I don't no, but I haven't seen anything that would indicate that. Israel hopes the U.S. decision to cut aid to Egypt will not affect the two countries' historic peace deal, according to a cabinet minister on Thursday, insisting that the Israeli-Egyptian ties remain as close as ever. Now, I am no military expert, I am no political expert, but to use the words close as ever when it comes to Israel and Egypt, isn't that a little bit of a stretch? No, actually, the military and security cooperation is really outstanding. Are you shocked by this? If I told you this six months ago, would you have predicted it? Yes, under the generals, it has improved steadily. Even under Morsi, by the way, it, it started because the, the military needed Israel. It, it wasn't uh, out of love of Israel initially, but the right. cooperation is way because Egypt found that all of the things they were tolerating, part of Hamas and the part of in the Gaza and the Sinai, um, were were coming back to to hurt them, and they they lost control. It it is really uh, no man's land. It's it's uh, a wanton wasteland now in Sinai with all of these terrorist organizations, and they were every day attacking Egyptian military, and Israel gave permission for them to to enhance and bulk up their presence there uh, a lot, uh, and and that's why the decision not to send aid is even more. Uh, uh, well, it's not a total cutoff of aid, and they say it's temporary. It means that, but they don't get F-16s. They're not getting helicopters and certain spare parts, which they need when they, although they do allow them the anti-terrorism stuff. Uh, but the message, when they're on the front line there, now going after the terrorists, and maybe they're doing it in extreme ways, whatever, but the the fact is that they're fighting a terrible enemy in the Sinai that, that kills every day, and... I think they've had 50 dead and 250 injured in, in two weeks, and 
uh, during the you know the ac- annual anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, we saw right. the violence. Yeah, that, uh, that's they even right. fired a, a missile, uh, some sort of a rocket, uh, a propelled grenade, to uh, through a satellite dish in in one of the s- s- wealthy suburbs of of Cairo. I mean, this is not. Uh, it, it, they're fighting a, an important battle against Al Qaeda, against other terrorist groups, and trying to, to regain some control. Is your organization in Washington uh, trying to convince uh, the, the White House and Congress to keep the aid going? Well, Congress has not been involved. This was a decision without Congress's involvement, and many members of Congress have spoken up and been upset. And it's surprising that after you know the involvement of Congress on Syria, that they weren't even consulted on this decision. The administration has the right to make it. But Israel has expressed its public disappointment, even alarm. So have uh, others. And again, it's because of the message. You know, others will make up perhaps the financial end, but but the Russians then say, well, we're going to, you know, we'll step in and provide. I don't think that Egypt can shift over back to the to the Russian uh, equipment, nor do do I think they uh, they want to. But this is. Um, uh, you know the the message here. I I I I really don't understand, and I don't think it was smart to maybe it, it, it because it's a limited action. You know, they have the ability to be flexible with it, which I hope they will be. But but again, it it, it doesn't play well when Egypt is is trying to move. The generals at least are are moving against uh, the terrorists. We want to see them move better on human rights and other things, but the situation there is really. Uh, Terrible. The economy is yeah, and we and I asked you this last week, and uh, but but now I have to ask again in the context of this discussion is 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 Egypt going to have to out of necessity have an an, an increased presence in Gaza just to control the situation? They have said that they've sent drones no, but I'm over saying, Gaza. but I'm saying even more like down the road, could we see like a a real movement where they take over the place? I don't know if take over, but they certainly would like to see Hamas removed at the same time that Mr. Erdogan, our good friend in Turkey is hosting Mashal of Hamas and trying, it seems, to, to gain some influence there, perhaps because they've lost influence everywhere else. I mean, you know, he had this policy of zero problems with our neighbors, and he has, he had, there is zero countries with whom he doesn't have problems today. Uh, he had invested a lot with uh, Syria, invested in other things, and I think more and more people are seeing his erratic nature and the decisions he makes. He even attacked Israel again for apologizing too late over the Mavi Marmara incident. But he's hosting Hamas. 73% of the people in Turkey reject it. They don't want him to do it. And uh, we see the increased pressure on Hamas because they've cut off from from Iran's funding, from Qatar, uh, major funding for them. They are uh, feeling the pressure because of the events in Sinai from the Egyptian army. And and now he he's going to be the lifeline for them. Is he democratically elected? He's acting like he's acting like a uh, like a dictator who does what's best for them and doesn't worry about what's best for the people or what the people want. Well, both are true. He was democratically elected, but you know he's put hundreds of generals in jail. Hundreds of uh, the media is certainly not not free uh, in the same way it was. It, it's uh, many of the Ataturk reforms and traditions have been have been curtailed. Uh, so to describe uh, him as certainly as a, as a democratic force, I think would be uh, the country is and the people. I think want to be right, but he's not necessarily. Say so. Erdogan is. Yeah, he's not behaving that way. All right, I haven't done this in a while, Malcolm. Usually, I stay with my own list, but I mean, we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, uh, hundreds of topics we still haven't gotten to over the last couple of weeks. What do we need to know uh, in terms of the top of the list uh, today? 
Well, I think that the developments with Egypt could have longer-term ramifications. Certainly the upcoming meeting next week, before we talk again uh, of the P5 plus 1 with Iran, is going to be very important. Uh, what proposals are put forward, people should read carefully about what what is really being said and what is being proposed. Uh, there is a proposal on the table. The Iranians said they want a new one. Secretary Kerry said that we're not doing new ones until you, you give us the old ones. Um, so those two things are, and also, of course, what happens in Washington with the showdown internally, uh, which may or may not be resolved in the coming days. Part of it certainly looks like it's moving towards resolution. The shutdown showdown. Uh, shutdown showdown. Very good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, it's a headline. <laughs> um, and uh, I think these, in the next couple of days, all of these will be very important issues. And then once Congress reconvenes, do they move on the Iran sanctions, despite the State Department's request? And uh, the, the message of Israel's uh, training exercise will sink in in the next day or so. Do we care about the uh, Russian reaction to the uh, U.S. sanctions? Well, the, it looks like the Russians in the U.S. are on the same page. Lavrov, the foreign minister, said that it'll take six in six months we could have this all resolved, we could have an agreement. Um, the Russians obviously are are champing at the bit to play a diplomatic role and reassert their presence and their standing as a world power, uh, despite their internal problems and and uh, uh, diminished status. But uh, this has projected them in a new role. And uh, out of coming out of Syria, if we do the same in Iran, I mean, this, this is going to be um, some sort of a new new f- uh, format or model. The administration has always wanted to internationalize uh, solutions, and, and I think that is their general approach. Um, I, I, I think that we have to be very careful, though, about with whom we're making common cause and, and the criteria, because our interests don't always overlap long term. Yeah. All right, Mazal Tov to you. We'll see you Tuesday, and we'll speak Friday. Have a, a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you. Good Shabbos. Thank Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Lachacha, with candlelighting at 6.04. Reminder, tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmnam.org. Sunday, Matis will feature Jamie Geller on JM Sunday. Jamie Geller is Matis's guest. On Sunday morning, he speaks with Jamie about her brand new book, Joy of Kosher Fest, Fresh Family Recipes. And then next Sunday, of course, Matis will present the 19th Yardside Commemoration of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. Rabbi Kalbach's Yardside comes out on Sunday, one week from this Sunday. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin. Spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Lech Lecha. With Parshas Lech Lecha, we begin Jewish history of Ramavinu and a some of the Nisionos, the Mishnah tells us Avram Avinu is tested with ten Nisionos, ten tests, and we see the incredible relationship between Hashem and Avraham, and I believe that this can best be demonstrated if you take a look in chapter 15, Pasuk 5. There, you are right after the war, where Avraham defeats 
the four kings who defeated the five kings and now Abraham as much as complains to Hashem and says look here I don't have any children so Hashem says okay he took him outside and said Abraham look up and count the stars can you and just as you can't count the stars, so too will your offspring not be able to be counted. Now, on that phrase, he took him outside. So Rashi tells us that the literal translation is to get a better view of the stars. However, the second interpretation is say me. It's Tagninu Shocha. He didn't only take him out of his house, out of his tent, but he took him out of the natural order of the world. There is an astrological kind of hold on individuals. And so Avram saw in the constellation that he will not have a child. Says God to Avraham, you're right, Avram ain't a molid. You saw that Avram will not have a child, but Avraham will have a child. So too you saw Sarai will not have a child. Sarah will. I will change your names and your destiny is going to change. In other words, God took him out of the realm of the natural. And that is the third interpretation of Rashi. He took him out of the natural cavity of this world. And he put him literally above the stars, above the constellations. The Jew works in a natural world of its own. And this is what we are introduced to in Parshas Lech Lecha. Moreover, no less than three times in the Parsha does Hashem promise Avraham the land of Israel for his offspring. At the very beginning of the Parsha, in Pasuk 7, Vayira Hashem El Avraham. Hashem appears to him. And by the way, what does it mean in the first verse that Hashem says to Abraham, go to the land, Asher Areka, that I will show you? So the Sapurno understands it to mean not that I will show you, but rather that I will reveal myself to you. Namely, God spoke to Abraham outside the land of Israel outside the land of Canaan. But in terms of his appearing to him, which is a much higher level of prophecy, that takes place in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the land of prophecy. So there, when Avram first comes into the land, Hashem says to him, Lezarecho etain esa oretz hazos, to your offspring I will give this land. In chapter 15, Hashem tells us, Bayom Hahu, on that day when Hashem made a covenant with Avraham, 
Koras Hashem is Avram Brisley Moore. Hashem entered into a covenant with Avram saying, Literally, to your descendants have I given this land. And Rashi tells us, what does that mean? When God says, I'm going to give it to you, it's money in the bank. It's already there. And finally, at the end of the parasha, in chapter 17, when you have the mitzvah of Milah, Hashem says again for the third time in this parsha that, listen carefully to these beautiful words, I'm going to maintain my covenant between me and you, chapter 17, verse 7, and in verse 8, and I will give to you, and to your offspring after you, Es Eretz Megurecha, Es Kol Eretz Kenan, La'achuzas Olam, as an everlasting possession. Now, interestingly, the Balaturim, on the opening Pasuk of Lech Lecha, has a few interesting observations. He points out that the gematria, the numerical value of Lech Lecha, is 100. Lamed and Chaf is 50. Lamed and Chaf is 50. 100. And he points out the following. Number one, he says, there is a hint that when you will be 100, that's when you will father Yitzchak and Veschologoy Godol. But secondly, He's telling him to leave now when he is 75 and telling him that he will have 100 years that he will be the father of this nation. In reality, Lech Lecha is speaking to Avraham on two different levels. It's speaking to him on a personal level and it's speaking to him on a national level. And in reality, this is our relationship to Eretz Yisrael. If you think about it, the Ramban says, take note. The difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov is that Shabbos is Kviyo Vakaime. What does that mean? Hashem already at the culmination of creation on Day 6, as we read in the Vayichulu, please God, tonight, Vayivorech Elokim es Yom God blessed Vayikadesh Oso, God sanctified the seventh day. So it is already holy in contrast to Yom Tov that the Jewish people have to sanctify. Hence the bracha of Kiddush on Shabbos, Baruch Hashem, Blessed are you, God, Mekadesh HaShabbos, and the blessing on Yom Tov, Baruch HaTor HaShem, Mekadesh Yisrael, who sanctifies Israel, who in turn, Vahazmanim, sanctify the times. Now, even though HaShem has sanctified the Shabbos, the Ramban says, what is the mitzvah of Kiddush? The mitzvah of Kiddush is 
that man is invited to sanctify the Shabbos as well. Similarly, regarding Eretz Yisrael, the Torah tells us at the end of Parshas Ekev, Eretz, Asher Hashem Elokecha, Doresh Osa, a land that God is constantly concerned about, Meresh's Hashana, the Achris Shana, from the beginning of the year till the end of the year. That implies that God Himself is the Makadesh of Eretz Yisrael, as we had earlier, the Zarachonosati. God has already given it to the Jewish people before the Jewish people have even entered the land. However, we know that the coming of the Jewish people into the land was a form of Mekadesh, was a form of sanctifying the land. Because the very beginning of Pashas Kisavo, when the Torah speaks about bringing Bikurim, the Torah says that it shall be when you come to the land and then you will take from the first fruits of the land, says Rashi, Nagir, it comes to teach us, they weren't obligated to bring Bikurim from the land of Israel, until man did his conquering and dividing. So we see that God invites us as a people to be Makadesh, and He as well is Makadesh. Avram has two Lech Lechos, a personal one and a communal one. And I believe that the draw to the land of Israel that Jews have is literally in their DNA. And so when Baruch Hashem families go on Aliyah, Nefesh Benefesh, there's a draw. Where is this draw coming from to Eretz Yisrael? The answer is, it's in our DNA from Avraham Avinu. This past week, the Jewish nation lost a Torah giant, the Chacham Avadja Yosef, Sechat Tzadik, the Kadosh Levracha. And just as the land of Israel is individually and nationally, it affects each and every Jew, that there are certain halachot that apply to the individual and others that apply to the nation, so too this man was an incredible individual that affected so many people on a personal level and then again lifted up and raised the esteem of the nation in a most incredible way. To think that between 600,000 and perhaps maybe more individuals with such short notice 
converged on Yerushalayim for this man's funeral can only begin to tell us how much he touched and uplifted the spirit of this nation. I can only tell you on an individual uh, basis to say how much he cared about each person. And this was known. Approximately 10 years ago, Chacham Ovadia suffered his first heart attack and he was rushed to the hospital. The doctors decided that they needed to perform surgery immediately. Chacham Ovadia pleaded to please postpone the surgery for three hours and be taken home. His attendants were caught off guard by the request and tried to convince the rabbi not to wait. But after the postponed surgery, Chacham Ovadia revealed his reasoning. While at home, he had been in the middle of writing a responsa for an aguna, a woman where it is not clear if she's still considered married according to Jewish law. And due to the heart attack, he could not finish it. Said Rabbi Vajia, I might not come out alive from this surgery. And then, what will be of this poor woman? She'll be stuck for the rest of her life, unable to remarry. I had to finish the tshuva, the responsa, before the surgery. And I know firsthand that when American rabbis had the difficult, tragic situation of trying to resolve so many of the Aguna issues of 9-11, Rav Ovadja Yosef was there to help them and to find ways to free Agunot to allow them to remarry. He was a person who I recall years ago on my trips to Eretz Yisrael I would go to the Bukharin synagogue on Mutsoi Shabbos and I will describe to you the scene. Rabbi was sitting in his robes and his turban. He sat on a literally a very special chair which looked like a throne in front of the Arun Kodesh, literally royalty, and sat for an hour without a note and uplifted the entire assemblage in such a way that not only the esteemed Tamidei Chachon were uplifted, but his ability to reach out to the common man. His ability to reach out to the uneducated that had been disenfranchised, and especially the Svardim, and what he did in order to give them a sense of purpose, of culture, give them a sense of pride, and give them the opportunity to come back to observe Torah 
a mitzvot, this is something less, nothing less than incredible. And so, not only do we say, Chaval al da'avdin v'lo b'shtachin, woe unto us that we lose persons that are literally irreplaceable. But we thank Hashem for what Shlomo HaMelech says, Uvo HaShemesh v'zorach HaShemesh. What is the wise King Solomon telling us when he speaks about sunrise, sunset? He's telling us that Hashem never leaves the Jewish people without leaders and how privileged we were to have Chacham Uvadja Yosef Tehei Nishmaso Tzrura Bitzror Achayim Wishing everybody Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. and the A.M., the Maccabees, with that one brand new. They call it Drawer You Cry. I think originally it was called Cups, uh, or the working title at least. Friday morning, J.M. and the A.M. on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha, candle lighting at 6.04. Monday we start Bahab. Monday is Columbus Day, and Monday I'll be off. Uh, Mayor Furtig is going to be in this chair. Thank you, Mayor Furtig. He'll be in this chair Monday. Yosef Mendelevich, former refusenik, is coming to Sheepshead Bay. Come here, Yosef Mendelevich is coming Sunday at 7.30 p.m. at the Young Israel of Kings Bay, 3007 Ocean Avenue, on Ocean Avenue near Avenue Z. Information 718-769-9871, 718-769-9871. Check out the community calendar section of jmtheam.org. See what's happening in your area. Don't forget that Joel Chasnoff is the, um, is the entertainer. He is the, <laughs> he's funny. And, Mo- and yes, I'm jealous of Miriam L. Wallach. She interviewed him yesterday on That's Life. I want to interview him. 
He's a funny man. Emuna presents an evening of high energy and lavish food featuring the comedy stand-up of Joel Chasnoff. It's happening this Sunday at 6.30 p.m. at the Kingsway Jewish Center. Enjoy. Also up on our community calendar, Chazen Yassela Rosenblatt's memorial concert in Brooklyn with a, tr- a tremendous list of Chazanim. Happens this coming Sunday night at B'nai Israel of Linden Heights. Information at... Um, Let's see. Information. You can contact Mostly Music at 718-438-2766. They have tickets over there. 21st Annual Israel Real Estate Show is happening Sunday and Monday, Grand Hyatt Hotel, New York City. Information on our website if you go to the Monday section of Community Calendar. Uh, the Israel Real Estate Information Show is Sunday and Monday at the Grand Hyatt Hotel, Grand Central in New York City. And... Uh, where did my mother's of multiples announcement go? I had it here. I don't know where it went. Uh, mothers of multiples are gathering uh, Tuesday night at Maimonides Hall. The featured medical personnel will be discussing strep, something that mothers of all, not just multiples, have to deal with. <laughs> and fathers as well, of course. Uh, mothers of multiple support group meets uh, this coming Tuesday, Maimonides Hall. In Brooklyn, New York, Mati Berkowitz at Yahoo.com, M-A-T-T-I Berkowitz at Yahoo.com for all the information. All right. Simple as that. Naomi Nachman, table for two, coming up uh, 9 a.m. Eastern time on the stream, jmtheam.org. She's got a an array of guests today, a really nice array of guests today, all uh, surrounding the Kosher Fest event, which is later this month here in New Jersey. Naomi, oh, where am I here? I hit the wrong uh, hit the wrong page. Naomi is going to be featuring. Um, she's going to be featuring SD Berkowitz co-chairing Kosher Feast social media event. Menachem Ubinsky, founder of Kosher Fest, and Melinda Strauss, who's hosting the Kosher Food Bloggers Conference. All three events the last week of October. They'll be on with Naomi between nine and ten this morning on the stream. JMNAM.org. Music Mix continues all day long. Big thank you to our friends at Kedem. The Arab Shabbos Music Mix is the best way to prepare for a Shabbos. Uh, no matter if it's on your app, your iPhone, your computer, your smartphone, whatever, whatever method you use to listen, keep it going all day long in the office and at home all the way until candle lighting time. Tomorrow night, Avrami has Saturday Night Siegel and Matis will feature Jamie Geller on Sunday. JM Sunday. Jamie Geller's brand new book, Joy of Kosher Fast, Fresh Family Recipes. And Matis is uh, continuing to prepare for the 19th Yardzeit special for Shlomo Kalbach. His Yardzeit's on a Sunday, so a week from Sunday, Matis will have that on the stream at jmtheam.org. And don't be shocked if it's an expanded edition that week of JM Sunday. Candlelighting at 6.04. More coming up if you keep it here at JM in the AM.
Jam in the AM, that's the uh, Colsalonica group from years ago. You may recall their uh, amazing uh, entree into the world of Jewish music. Candlelighting at 6.04 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Lechacha. The Kalbach yard site is a week from Sunday, which means we'll try next Friday morning to uh, dominate the morning with his music. That's going to be our uh, our attempt, is to uh, get as much Kalbach music as possible uh, on the air. But, of course, Sunday, a week from Sunday, JM Sunday with Matis on the uh, Web is really going to uh, put together an amazing array of Kalbach selections. We'll extend the program for three hours, hopefully, that day. And we'll have plenty of it through the stream as well at jmtheam.org. Time to say good Shabbos. Journeys is on. This is JM in the AM. Study and you'll pray. Why not wait till 
good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And that wraps up another amazing week here at JM the AM. Tomorrow night, I have Rummy's on starting at 10 p.m. Eastern time on the stream at jmtheam.org. Matis with JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time on the stream with special guest Chef Jamie Geller, and Monday, Mayor Furtick sits in this chair. I'm taking the day off. How do you like that? Back Tuesday, starting at 6 a.m. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till next time, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.